You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world? How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts? Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything, available everywhere you get your podcasts. Ishtar, a bearded goddess of sex and war, from ancient Mesopotamia. She was hot-tempered with a lust for conquest, and her priestesses were transgender. Oya, Yoruba goddess of the wind, storms, lightning, tornadoes, thunder, commerce, and war. She rules the destruction that comes before positive change. Atalanta, fleet-footed huntress and heroine of ancient Greece who joined the Argonauts. She helped slay the Caledonian boar, and refused to marry any man who couldn't beat her in a foot race. She also became a PDA lion. Eats Papa Lotl, a skeletal warrior goddess of the Aztec pantheon, sometimes depicted with butterfly wings lined with obsidian knives. This episode is part of our Women of Myth series, where we interview podcasters, authors, scholars, and more about the amazing women of world mythology. It's based on our book of the same name, Women of Myth, Illustrated by the amazing Sarah Richard, it's available for pre-order wherever books are sold, or go to ancienthistoryfangirl.com to find links to a bookstore near you. A plus B equals demon army, what can you say? (laughs) I'm Jenny Williamson. And I'm Jen McMenemy. And this is Ancient History Fangirl. We're joined today by Sarah Richard, our incredible Eisner and Ringo Award-nominated illustrator for uh, our book Women of Myth, and she's going to be a part of our Women of Myth series, and we're so happy to have her here. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks, guys. Nice to meet you. Finally. (laughs) We're so happy to meet you, too. This is the best. I mean, we've been such huge fans of yours for such a long time. Uh, You illustrated our really good friend Liv, uh, Liv Albert's book, The Gods, Goddesses, and Heroes Handbook, A Nectar of the Gods. And when we found out that you were going to illustrate our book, like, we did a ridiculously happy dance. When we were writing our proposal, we were like, that's our dream, is if Sarah will illustrate our book. (laughs) Oh, yay! I love it! We have multiple pieces of art framed in our houses. Oh my gosh, thank you guys so much. And we've got some from uh, some Liv as well from Liv's book. She gave us each a print from her her first book. And um, I'm actually looking at the uh, Theseus and Ariadne one right now. And it's amazing. Mine's the Persephone and Hades one. Oh, yeah. I love, it. I, like, I love them all. They're all like my babies. 
love them for different reasons. <laughs> yeah, same. I totally feel that. That's how we are with like our myths. Every single time we'd sit down when we were writing this book, we'd be texting each other and being like, okay, this is clearly my new favorite goddess heroine monster every single time. <laughs> yeah, they were all our favorites. Sarah, can you describe your style? Yeah, uh, I, I guess I'll try. Um, <laughs> really inspired by uh, like Art Nouveau and Art Deco. So a lot of like the organic lines of Art Nouveau. Um, I like to use them all with swirls and hair and, and mist and stuff. And then uh, Art Deco, just like kind of in the, um, I guess the portraiture. So kind of like Tamara de Lampica is one of my favorite artists. Um, Remedios Barrow is another one that I'm, I'm really into right now. Um, very cool, kind of early 1900s ladies, surrealists and Art Deco ladies. But also I love um, like uh, Victorian funerary stuff too. So like spooky skulls, you know, like real memento mori, little hourglasses with wings and stuff. I like to kind of throw that that in there as well. But, um, but yeah, yeah, I kind of, you know, swirly, <laughs> swirly stuff. Wait, before we go any further, Sarah, are you wearing something that is clicking? Are you? Oh, is it clicking? Oh, here I can. Uh, might be. thing. The source of my power. I don't want you to lose the source of your power, but uh, I think it was. Oh yeah, no worries. There's a little uh, little sunstone that just likes needs to be heard by everybody. So. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. I wore this one a lot when I was working on the book. It gave me oomph. <laughs> At least people know that the clicking is clearly your gorgeous jewelry that you're wearing that is the source of your power. Now that they know, they'll just cope. <laughs> yeah, we'll just see how it goes, but I think it'll be fine. One of the things I noticed in your work is the hair, the incredible hair that would just swirl and fade into the background and skulls, so many skulls. Yeah, I love I love putting in spooky things into maybe an otherwise like sweet kind of situation. Like I'm all for kind of like the death positivity, um, and mental mori stuff, just, you know, integrating what should be a spooky death imagery into something maybe a little sweeter and just having that juxtaposition, but also having, you know, kind of normalizing having a skull show up in a flower field or in somebody's hair or something, you know, why not? <laughs> I think that should be normalized. My sister's wedding, she had these bird skulls made into hair clips that were in everybody's hair. It was so cool and really beautiful. Oh, cool. It's one of the things when we were looking at the illustrations, your illustration for the Morrigan, the Celtic goddess of... um the battlefield and sex and death and all that kind of stuff. When it came back with her big hair fading into like the skulls and then bleeding onto the battlefield, I was like, this is the most perfect thing I've ever seen. She is so fierce. I loved her big hair and how it like fed into the, I, I have very big red curly hair. It's the hair I always wish I could have. Like I, I have very fine hair and like big, like voluminous, voluminous Merida hair is like amazing plus like I, I love how her like viscera cape came out too so like kind of want one of those now <laughs> the viscera cape was so perfect because it was like the battlefield itself was the cape like she picked it up and wrapped it around her it was amazing like these skulls would look dope on my shoulder pads <laughs> exactly <laughs> We should normalize skulls as attire, like actual skulls. Yeah, well, consensual skulls. You know, like skulls as fashion only if it's consensual. <laughs> consensual skulls. <laughs> I want consensual skulls to be a band name so bad now. <laughs> we leave our bodies to art. That's what I would like to do. So did you have a favorite character, Sarah, that you illustrated for the book? Oh my gosh, this is the hardest question you guys could ask me. <laughs> like, no, no, no. It's it's like, I love them all. Um, I think the ones that came together the quickest though um Pele was like that was exactly as I imagined her 
how she came out was this the sketch. Yeah, it felt perfect. Yeah, she was one of the ones I wrote. And as soon as I saw her, I was like, oh, my God, it's perfect. <laughs> oh, good, good. Because, like, I tried to see everybody, like, I, I did, you know, a precursory kind of um, uh, reference searching online to see what's been done already. And, you know, it was one of those things where I'm like, this could be a cool image to fit in with all the ones that exist right now. That's always hard because, you know, everybody has their own version of, of what myths look like and stuff. So, um that was really fun. But uh, uh, rambling again. Uh, Pesta, I really like drawing too, <laughs> weirdly enough. Right? Pesta is incredible. Yeah, she was fun. Um, I love like drawing kind of big open empty spaces and hiding stuff in there. So I think hers is pretty sparse with what's in there. But there's a few illustration that's got a couple things definitely hidden under a few blades of grass and, you know, like in a tree or something. Most are skulls. But there's a lot of skulls and stuff, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes skulls and stories that did not have a skull, but skulls are always welcome. <laughs> yeah, I love Pesta. Pesta is one of those characters that just had this body of, you know, traditional folkloric art that just leaps off the page. She's, it's a really distinctive look. Like, she's very creepy and haunting. And there's also just all this grief that came through in your illustrations. Yeah, it did it, 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 um you know, pulling from pandemic times really kind of like help with these kind of images too. It was neat to see like, you know, what traditional images of her there were. So I did want to kind of keep like it as traditional looking as possible. Um, But man, I love drawing a spooky old lady face. Like it's it's really fun. (laughs) In case you haven't read the book yet, and this will probably drop before it comes out, maybe just after. Pesta is the embodiment of the Black Death in Norway in the 1300s. And Sarah's illustration of her is just incredible. And Also, speaking of old lady faces, the Baba Yaga illustration. Can we pause and just appreciate that one? Okay, that's definitely, that's another one of my absolute favorites. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) That one just had so much personality. I loved her. Yeah, I I love like weird, drawing weird big bird feet. Like I love drawing birds. So any like thing that I can shoehorn into an illustration like that. Um, I don't know. I wanted to make her house really scary like Miyazaki levels of scary I guess it was one of those things where like we can't tell you what to draw but like both of us are like fingers crossed she does the house fingers crossed she does the house (laughs) there's definite Howl's Moving Castle vibes on that one yeah for sure (laughs) a little inspiration and I love even on the house when people see the illustration there are skulls on it but they actually are meant to be there there's always three skulls on Baba Yaga's house outside there's a space for a fourth one just in case you, you tick her off. Love it. I love it. So with the house too, I tried to make it uh, look like an owl face as well. So like in some of the windows, I tried moving like the little light, the little candles around like a, like an iris, I guess, um, or people, words. <laughs> but um, so I always say like art is my first language and speaking is like <laughs> hard for me to do. Uh, <laughs> I know they're hard for us too. But it's so perfect because, like, that is her house in folklore, too. Like, it does, they kind of describe it as having a face and as not having a door and, like, you can't really get into it. And so, like, the way you captured it really worked. And, like, the sort of, the sentientness of it. It's alive. It's watching. It's moving. When we saw an early concept illustration, there's when people see the artwork, they'll see there's, like, little children cowering in the corner. And there was just this little note that said, scared kids here or something like that, or little kids here. <laughs> it was perfect. One of my favorite things about doing like the preliminary sketches, and I hope someday too that we can like somehow show, like I'm sure we can probably show them eventually, like all the... We'll ask our editor and see if we could do like at least a couple, you know. 
That'd be cool. Yeah, there's fun. There's some fun notes on there. Mostly it's just so I remember what I'm drawing because I start to go into hieroglyphics after a while and I don't know what I've drawn. <laughs> Sarah sent us line drawings of many of the pieces of artwork in the book before we saw the final product. They were always just so great. Like <laughs> they're like little arrows and notes and things. And you really did get like a lot of the um, personality of what was going to come through before we even saw the finished product, which was so fun. And what we could do is take like a line drawing and then the finished one and like put them like side by side on the Instagram or something. That would be cool. We'll just have to check that's okay with SNS. I'm sure it probably will be, but technically they own that. So we do have to double check. That is true. Yeah, it's fun too because like some of the drawings, um, like the sketch won't have every swirl in it like denoted in the sketch. That kind of comes along with doing the final piece. So it's always kind of cool to see how one of those sketches sort of turns out. Like I don't always have it like 100% planned. And so it's a surprise to me too. What would you say your process is like? Yeah. uh, So for this book in particular, I really, really, really wanted to hone in on all the goddesses. So uh, after my initial anxiety attack. uh, (laughs) Oh, did you have that too? (laughs) We did. (laughs) Full on. (laughs) A little bit. Yeah, it's great. I feel like it's Hive mind anxiety attack is great. <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, I went for a walk in the woods and I was just like, you know what, just ladies help me out, you know, just try to be as open as I possibly could. And I'm like, you know what, I need to make this as woo-woo spiritual as I got to do it. So every, um, every drawing, I have a different necklace that I'll wear with a different stone on it that like feels like it'll work with that, um, you know, goddess or I'll, I'll have a special playlist on just to make sure I get that through in the artwork as well uh and uh yeah I just kind of hope for the best I guess you have a separate playlist for every single one I uh, not every single one there's a few that overlapped for sure um but uh I'll kind of think of a song that correlates with that did you have any songs that you kept seeing overlapping on on many playlists uh so Agnes Obel is one of my favorite artists most of my art's like drawn to her stuff too, because it's just the perfect like atmospheric, like spooky. Oh, I love it. And um, LCN or LCN, amazing, really also very atmospheric, beautiful voice and music, very goddessy. So that was also playing. But um, but yeah, so I, I did everything digitally. Uh, I am originally a traditional artist, but I found this awesome program called Procreate on iPad and it's kind of changed my life. <laughs> it allows me to get so much more work done in such a short amount of time. And, uh, and I can make changes really quick. So that's, that was a issue with traditional paint. I kind of picked whatever goddess I was feeling like that day too, or not me, but like whatever goddess was really like speaking to me. So I didn't force any drawing. If it was one that didn't feel like she was vibing that day, then I, I kind of left her for another day. So I like to think that was trying to listen <laughs> as much as possible. Um, I should say Shahrazad gave me quite a run for my money, though. Like I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do for her up until like the very, very end. But then I, I'm so happy with how she came out. She was one of my favorites, actually. I really liked her. <laughs> the very creepy king peering over her shoulder. I loved her because she's so classic, right? Like Jen and I were talking about which ones were the most difficult for us. I mean, they, they all had their challenges, you know, but I think I felt like most challenged and a little bit, you know, nervous to cover the characters that I didn't know well because I hadn't covered them in the podcast already. And Jen felt kind of the opposite. I felt the exact opposite. Like I covered some of them the more well-known in some regards ways like I covered Mulan and I really struggled with her because I had a really clear idea of when I gave you the brief for the artwork what I wanted her to look like and not look like because I felt like we see a lot of 
similar illustrations for her and I wanted her to look and feel a certain way. I also covered like Atalanta and Athena and Medusa, who are like three of my all time favorites. Jenny let me have the Greeks, which was very nice of her. And it was really hard. I had the, I had Kitsune. I had a bunch of different ones that I was like, these are really iconic and I'm not sure that I'm going to do their story justice or I'm going to brief their artwork to Sarah in a way that helps her do what she needs to do to get her incredible vision out and also maybe see something a little different in the artwork. I had Paley too. She was also mine. So I was just like, feel a lot of pressure on this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because they are such huge topics too. And it's like everybody's kind of got their own idea of what they want them to look like so I was kind of worried about that too but then I thought you know like what hasn't been done how haven't they looked yet and what do I want to put out into the world as like now a new part of the collection of their imagery so like with Kitsune especially I was a huge anime kid in high school so like that is burned into my skull of just like anime fox girls so it was really fun to try and not do that <laughs> make her more ethereal I guess you know and, and more more foxy what I liked about the Kitsune illustration the Kitsune are Japanese fox spirits that can also manifest as women or perhaps men sometimes Sometimes old men, sometimes women, you see them popping up in other Asian mythology, including like Korea and China. But for the book, we chose to focus on the Japanese stories because there are just so many stories. Yeah. But what I loved about that illustration was that there was like a certain amount of um, uncanny valley about the Kitsune spirit, you know, like it's like, is she human? Is she not human? You know, like, I really think you nailed that. Thanks. I love weird, like just juxtapositions. Like I, I guess I could like boil it down as just like uncomfortable or weird or different kind of like mashups and stuff is, is my favorite. I'm really glad that you did that and picked up on that because I also really, really love that. When I saw the Dear Woman illustration, she was so different from how she is on the book. And hopefully we'll be able to share this, but like there's just so many deer and she's just got this sort of like inverted snow white feeling you know what i mean like all these woodland creature animals have come to her and she's their protector and they're not protecting her and they're not like cute little animals there to like help her do the washing and laundry it's like there's this beautiful ecosystem around them some of the deer are spectral and some of them are babies and some of them are full-grown deer and it's just it's one of my favorite illustrations yeah i have a friend who's she traced her genealogy back to blanking on the tribe right now because <laughs> I'm so jet lagged right now but um I have a friend who feels the deer woman is really very important to her too so that one was the last one that I did because it I felt like I needed to just get as ready for her as possible I wanted to be as best as I could for her and for the book and you know just for you guys and I'm really happy how it turned out so I'm glad it worked out okay she's another one that scared me a little bit <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. 
Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Were there any that you really felt that you clicked with right away? Okay, I did watch a movie that had It's Papalotl. It's Papalotl, that's right. It's Papalotl, yeah. Hold on, sorry, I forget what it's called. I need to know this movie first off. <laughs> there is a horror movie where she's the villain, or the monster. It was so good. She looked nothing like what I thought she was going to look like. They didn't really show her. It's kind of a spoiler, sorry. <laughs> I've seen just screenshots from that movie. I haven't seen the movie. Yeah, it was really good. Um, I don't know if it's Get Out. It's like the last one out or something. Oh yeah, it's not Get Out, but sounds like Get Out. I was going to say, it can't be Get Out. I think that's the wrong movie. <laughs> No one gets out alive. No one gets out alive. Yes. No one gets out alive was really cool. Um, for, for her too, I really liked the whole layer of her kind of being related to mothers that have died in childbirth. So that's why I put... There's baby skulls. Yeah. So baby skulls in there. We got there. Um, the, the two figures at the bottom are based on sculptures of pregnant women that have died during childbirth. And I just love that whole layer. And because um, me and my mom, we do a lot of gravestone cleaning and a lot of the stones that we clean are women who have died in childbirth so it's one of those neat ways I guess to honor them in a sort of way different cultural way. I think like protectress of women in childbirth was one of her roles and there were a few that were either in the monsters category or sometimes in the heroines category I forget but like there were a few that were either protectors of women in childbirth or attackers of women in childbirth. Uh, call it, is it Kalapalik? Like Kalapalik. Kalupalik was the one was the one that lures children out onto the ice. That was another favorite one. <laughs> oh yeah, that one was cool, right? <laughs> yeah, that was it's it's cool because like I love drawing like really pretty art deco, like very artsy beautiful ladies, but also like really messed up zombie ladies too. It was really fun. So I had a blast with that one for sure. And then also trying to kind of work a story into it as well, where there's somebody off in the distance calling for their kid that is now being taken down by the creature. So, yeah. There's like a baby on the back of the Kalupa leak and you just can barely see its little hands. <laughs> just flailing. Yeah, yeah. And there's a claw like on the little mitt on the ice too. So like it's it all kind of comes around. Yeah. Yeah. The Kalupa leak is, a, is an Inuit monster and it's it basically functions as a warning, you know, like the don't go out onto the ice children kind of a warning. But then, you know, there's all these stories around it and people have written, um, you know, children's books around this monster and it's, it's really very unique. The illustration was just really really cool and again the uncanny valleyness of it was very striking <laughs> i like drawing like uncomfortable eye contact too so like that one was, <laughs> was really fun <laughs> uncomfortable eye contact could be like the subtitle of this book <laughs> oh yeah absolutely <laughs> prepare yourself i've got a question were there any of these creatures goddesses heroines that you knew of before and did anything in the way we interpreted or told their story surprise you? 
so I definitely knew the a lot of the Greek ones because of Liv's book. So Atalanta and um, Athena definitely had those ladies down, but I wanted to make it different for your for your book. So with Liv's book, I was given kind of um, what they sort of wanted everything to look like. So uh, like Laura Atlantis, Hercules from Disney, like they wanted really colorful, really kind of really stylized characters. So it was really fun to kind of take what you know I did for Liv's book and then try and make it more like not realistic but I guess Uncanny Valley-ish I suppose this book is like 100% my style like going into which really made my soul super super happy so like uh, Atlanta and and Athena that's kind of like what came first to my mind like that's what I wanted them to to look like so yeah (laughs) but it's still I wanted to give them kind of like fun colors as well so you know like mute some stuff down but you know keep it keep it recognizable you know yeah it's kind of a balancing act with those guys but um it was nice to be like I know these ladies let's do it it was it was quite different your style um with Liv's book versus our book and I agree that like uncanny valley was part of it there's a visceralness in the illustrations that you brought to the table for this book that I really liked We also had a really tricky time with this book because when you start looking into world mythology and you're looking at women, what you get a lot of times is beautiful. The adjective beautiful, the most beautiful, pretty comes up over and over and over again. And when we were telling the the myths, you know, we're very limited by what language can do as far as like adjectives for beauty, right? So what we asked Sarah to do and what she's done amazingly was we asked for a lot of body diversity in the book. We can only say so many things, but like a picture can show how different people look and that there are more types of of beauty than just a sort of Western ideal. What was it like incorporating that into these illustrations and how did you find that process? Yeah, it was it was awesome. Um, I had to learn a few skills, which I am very thankful now on how to draw different hair types that I've never drawn before, um, different um, tones for skin, which I, there's so many different colors, obviously, that go into like shadows and highlights. But until you like really stop and study it, you don't realize how many like blues and purples are kind of worked into what you imagine a skin tone would be. So that was really fun to have that diversity to work with. Uh, in terms of like beauty, you know, like I'm a big nosed lady. I like putting big noses on on ladies, you know, <laughs> represent. I am very much a very, very, very stacked cupcake. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, I think uh, Takane too, like doing a really like muscular girl too, you know, like just, yeah, it was, it was really fun to try and play with all the different body types and it's just like voluptuousness and just it having it aid their character and, and the illustration as well. And yeah, it was it was such a fun project. Like I I will carry this with me for a long time for sure. Oh, we're so glad us too. We talked about, you know, incorporating body diversity and um different imagery of what beauty can be and getting beyond the western ideal and getting beyond like blonde white ladies. I mean, there's a beautiful bearded Ishtar and she is just everything. Oh, she's my favorite. She was really fun. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, she was she was so much fun. I think I have like I don't know if I can swear on this, but like 
lots of animals just doing it around her <laughs> too. <laughs> These are not my copulating monkeys. This is not my copulating circus. <laughs> I mean, you can say furiously fucking. We have said that on our podcast before. <laughs> Fantastic. She's got some animals just fucking each other. Uh, like, I think she's got like two doves going at it. There's like two lions, just like. So I had some interesting reference up on my iPad. <laughs> How do I get the spark in the eye of the lioness that's being mounted? <laughs> it's like, why am I doing this? Hopefully this adds to the end. <laughs> you know you're in the right line of work when this is your research. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's not the weirdest one I've had, but it's, it's up there. <laughs> I'm actually curious about what the weirdest one is now. You know, uh, so let's see. I think trying to, so I worked on Rick and Morty comics for a little bit, and I had to explain to somebody what a Mr. Poopy Butthole was. So there's a, a little Mr. Poopy Butthole. He's a little character. And they were like, what is his name? It's Mr. Poopy Butthole is his name. And trying to explain that to people who have no idea what Rick and Morty is, like asking what's on my screen. It's like, no, but that's what it is. And they're like, you're insane. Like, I don't understand. So. Sometimes you have to have a poopy butthole on your screen and it is for work. <laughs> exactly. It's tax right off right there. <laughs> it's itemized on my deductions. <laughs> yeah, take that, the man. <laughs> Goddamn right. <laughs> The season we've had, it's like you just dropped a Patreon, I think, last month that was all about sex toys and bread dildos in the ancient world. And my husband just walked by and he's like, do I want to know? I'm like, do you want to know about ancient world dildos? Come here. <laughs> Come into it. my world. <laughs> there was a lot of olive oil and a lot of bad choices made. <laughs> I mean, I'm firmly of the opinion that bread dildos were a myth because yeast infections, people. It's all yeast, all the infection. Oh my gosh. You'd think some lady, yeah, ladies would go like, nah, I don't think that's going to happen. We did investigate it. We did our due diligence. We talked about it for a full on hour. <laughs> that could be the next book. <laughs> Dude, I'll, I'll illustrate ancient dildos all day long. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if they'll let that happen, considering they had such problems with Lilith's vag jewel. <laughs> oh, my God, I know. Sarah, the vag jewel, did it make it through? Mm, it had to change a little bit. It had to be more and more like a belt. So honestly, I was trying to do with um, the goddess uh, Huitipilo. Hine Nuitipo, I believe is how you say it. I hope I didn't screw it up. Hine Nuitipo. Yeah, um, so I wanted to give her giant obsidian vagina fangs too, but that wasn't illustrating very well. And I'm like, they're probably not going to go for this. You know, I was kind of seeing what they would let slide anyways with the other ones. So with Lilith, I was like, dope, she has a big vagina jewel. And then after a while, it's like, you know, I guess that is a little bit too spicy for them. So turn it down. <laughs> Look, it's not too spicy for us. You can bring your vag jewel on our podcast anytime. Well, see, that's what I thought because like a lot of the a lot of the descriptions are like this lady has chopped a guy in half with her veg teeth and like all this stuff so I'm like well why can't this be drawn not to say that it shouldn't be written but like why is there an allowance for writing but there isn't an allowance for that art it was kind of interesting to see a publisher once you start making it look like a belt it's just like oh she's wearing underwear but like the point of it is like she's you know there's something the power of of, of the badge jewel essentially yeah, if she is a sex goddess, she should have everything as sexy as possible, as like inviting and as like all the colors I want it to be like really, really sensual, I guess. <laughs> it's like, the you know, the vag jewel is the source of her power. Like, come on, it's Lilith. We all know this. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, honestly, too, in the jewel, I did have a shine that was very much like supposed, supposed to be a clit. But that was uh, that wasn't <laughs> it wasn't going to fly either. <laughs> 
Jen and I kept a lot of the X-rated details in. So it's like we were writing not necessarily for just a child audience. I don't think this was supposed to be like child. I think like it's like it's a gift book. So it was definitely like 18 older, older women and anyone who's interested. Like not older women, but you know, it was definitely like teenagers, 20 something, 30 something. It's an adult book. But one of the things about our podcast and one of the things about the way we tell things is we just don't sugarcoat it. I think a lot of this book in particular and a lot of the women we chose to focus on, like especially in our monster section, there's a lot of taking back their power and the, their origin stories and making them, particularly Lilith in general, giving you sort of more insight into why they would have been considered a monster, which may or may not be because they did bad things. It might be, you know, stealing sperm and spawning a demon army, or it could be something else. Who knows? <laughs> okay, but here's the thing. Like, if you have no recourse to, like, protect yourself, I mean, a demon army isn't the end of the world, is it? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's just another Tuesday. <laughs> no, you know what? Like, lots of people use sperm donors. There's a clause at the bottom of sperm donation for demon armies, though, I think, that you can't, you gotta sign away, right? <laughs> right. I think it depends on the state, really. <laughs> But again, that's just all about women having power over their sexual agency and reproduction that men don't have. If you give women reproductive agency, we're just going to use it to spawn demon armies and we can't have that. <laughs> True. A plus B equals demon army. What can you say? <laughs> were there any people in the book who, when you saw the list or you read the entries, who you were sad you didn't get to illustrate? Oh, man. Um... There was there's a few Egyptian ladies that I, I could have been pretty down with doing, but for the most part, like everybody was so fun. Like I, I only got intimidated by the ones like Shahrazad that I didn't know very much about, but it was fun to do all the research into her to make sure that I tried to illustrate her the best I could. So everything in here is like, oh my gosh, I, I almost killed myself trying to do this as as best as I could too. I wanted to represent each lady the best way that I could. So part of my anxiety is like, oh God, someone's going to think this is garbage. You know, like this isn't going to be what they see. And, you know, I'm just a little white girl over here drawing these really amazing heroines in, in you know, like the Middle East and Africa. And it's like, I hope that I do this right. And I, I, I did my absolute best. But yeah, everybody was so right. Even doing Mulan, like I, you know, obviously I know Disney Mulan, but to do more research into her to to see more of her nuance was really, really cool and trying to forget everything I grew up learning with Disney <laughs> and try and draw her what would have been more appropriate for her mythology. You guys put a good list together. I had a lot of fun. <laughs> I love the Mulan one because the Mulan, I feel like I haven't seen all the Mulan iconography out there. I'm very familiar with the Disney Mulan, but like the imagery that you put together, like the illustration that you did, she seemed like very much a soldier, first and foremost. Like there was a grittiness to the Mulan version that we had with you. I, I love that. Thanks. Yeah, I really wanted to give it like some real, like she's a warrior, she's a soldier. Like I wanted to give it that energy for sure. She was in the army for 10 years and no one figured it out. I grew up with the Disney one. My my five-year-old niece, again, loved the Mulan one, and she loves the Disney one as well. And, you know, a lot of times you see her, there, there's a very sort of, uh, in the Disney one, like, she's still kind of, you can tell she's a girl, right? But it's like, this is someone who lived for 10 years as a soldier, and no one suspected it. And I'm like, what would that have actually looked like? And how would you have been able to take your father's or your brother's place? Like, how tough would you have to be? And I'm not saying you can't be tough and also, you know, look like a girl. But I think one of the things we see a lot of times 
in the uh, imagery of Mulan is she is quite pretty and I just wanted her to be not so pretty and you really drew her in action. Yeah, anybody who was like a, a, a like Madame Trio, I think too um, with Elephant and like just a big busty lady who's riding an elephant because she's like 10 feet tall. Like I wanted, I, I originally had her like holding a soldier just screaming in his, <laughs> in his face. And they're like, nah, take take him out. Nah, just have her pointing oh, oh, forward, you know? And I was like, oh, but she was like giving this guy some friggin' guff. You want to, you just want to illustrate them with the energy that you know that they need. And like, there's so much art you see out there where they're just kind of standing all floofy, whatever. And that's especially like Morgan. Like, I wanted to give her that savagery, you know? Like, yeah, she's a pretty lady, but yeah, she'll rip your skin off too. Because she's got her needs, which is mostly sex on the battlefield. You know, there we go. <laughs> in Sarah's background, um, there is an item in your background that says that you used to craft teensy dinosaurs for Hasbro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I used to work at Hasbro as a toy sculptor. It was my first job right out of college. Uh, had this amazing teacher, uh, Mark Hazelrig. He's always trying to say his name into the universe because he's no longer with us, but he was the best teacher I've ever had. So Mark Hazelrig was my illustration teacher, and he happened to have my Hasbro boss as a student years and years ago. So they did um, kind of a workshop thing where they're like, you know, make a sculpture, make a figure. It has to have oh, four points of articulation or whatever. And so I'm like, well, I want this job. So I'm going to make a harpy with 26 points of articulation. <laughs> so like it was, yeah, I was like not messing around with this project. And I'm like, I want this internship more than anything. So um, yeah, she she had like working, not working wings, but like each one of her wings had like feather segments that would open up her toes all moved like her bird feet and everything and yeah I think it was like 26 26 points of articulation in there so showed it to the Hasbro guys and I ended up getting a position what material did you use yeah so it was uh jeweler's wax so like kind of jewelry making wax now everything's um computer but so when I got in there it was the very very end of like sculpting little tiny wax heads and hands and uh, we would use like a heat, um, a little heat pen. We'd use dental tools. We'd use needles, like as small as you could possibly get because everything was sculpted one-to-one and it would shrink too when it was made into a toy. So it was really cool to see the uh, Star Wars uh, manager. His whole office was just little tiny heads, like rows and rows and rows of tiny, tiny little portraits of every character from Star Wars. So yeah, like Jurassic Park has always been one of my favorite movies and None of the ones I sculpted came out. They tried doing a Jurassic Park G.I. Joe thing before any movies were out that would have supported that. And marketing was like, absolutely not. Lame. I know. It was one of my like dream, dream projects. So, um, but I did get to sculpt like a a couple really cool guys, like a, a really neat uh, stegosaurus that had a little nibbly mouth on him and everything. It was really cute. It's like a little beak mouth. Yeah, he was like the size of a potato and I named him Nibbles because I worked on him for a month straight <laughs> and we got very close. <laughs> I think I had the entirety of Dragon Ball Z on in the background as I worked on him. So like that's kind of how I, I figured out how long he took. It's the playlist, really. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, was, Jurassic Park's one of those things I've always kind of wished I could get to work on again in an official capacity. But I've done some really fun stuff for my friend uh, Dave does a... Uh, um, the Beasts of the Mesozoic action figure line. So I've I've done some box art for him. 
So I, I have been able to dabble back in paleo illustration a bit. What is your favorite dinosaur? Well, <laughs> my favorite herbivores are, <laughs> I love Parasaurolophuses, I love Pachycephalosaurus, and my favorite ocean reptiles is Elasmosaurus, but I also love Edunkleosteus, it's pretty cool too, but love me an Oviraptor, and um, let's see, I know I'm going to think of four more later, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm so basic, it's always, it's always a Triceratops or a T-Rex, or maybe a Brachiosaurus. I know. It's always one of those questions you have to think about. And whenever anyone asks me what my favorite dinosaur is, I always say what is not a dinosaur, which is in fact a mosasaur. <laughs> yeah, same with the Dimetrodon. I guess they're not technically dinosaurs. They're like right before dinosaurs were dinosaurs, but they're also fun. Older than a dinosaur. <laughs> Dude, Triceratops are cool. Yeah. You know what I learned the other day? Apparently, um, they think Triceratops had quills, which is pretty cool to think about. So were they essentially like a early precursor to something like a porcupine? I think so. I think they're saying because like they got the big horns up front, but like it's just hamburger meat in the back. So like <laughs> you want something to kind of protect that, right? But yeah, it's cool. Like whenever Twitter has like a new dinosaur news thing that pops up, it's just like blows my mind. <laughs> oh, I'm still kind of reeling from the idea that dinosaurs probably had feathers. Is that still a thing that people think for like heat regulation? But then it became a flight thing. Maybe Archaeopteryx. Shout out to my buddy. Oh, also pterodactyls. How did we miss pterodactyls? Oh man, they're cool. There's there's one called a Quetzalcoatlus, and it's a pterosaur that's like the size of a giraffe. Where it's just like, yeah, like how does physics? How do how do physics? <laughs> <It's just> like... <laughs> I think I think that Quetzalcoatl is is an Aztec god. I could I think so. Um, I think they named him in that in that vein. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So like, eats Papalotl adjacent. I love me some Aztec stuff. It's so cool. <laughs> I believe that there is one in the Natural History Museum here in New York. Oh, very cool. I know. I love, um, so I went to the Field Museum in Chicago uh, years ago because I did like a little uh, drawing thing for the kids section in there. And I just like, I did my, did my little drawing how-to and then I just kind of wandered the museum after and just hung out with the dinosaurs mostly. <laughs> you and Nibbles. <laughs> the dinosaurs are good company. <laughs> They're pretty good. They're quiet. They're good listeners. <laughs> I mean, look, say one thing about dinosaurs. Say that they're good listeners, because that is a fact. <laughs> if you are, like, if you really want to see some cool dinosaur art, too. Um, so William Stout is one of my favorite, favorite artists, and he does a whole um, Art Nouveau dinosaur book. So it's, like, paleo illustration with, like, an Art Nouveau twist to it. It's it's gorgeous. Oh, wow. That sounds amazing. That sounds right up my alley. <laughs> Is there anyone you're sad that we weren't able to fit into this book? Bearing in mind, we only had like 50 people we could cover. No, honestly, it's like, I guess I could pick some out, but I feel like the ones that were presented to me were meant to be in there. So I know it sounds kind of like woo-woo, but like it, it feels right. Everything in there felt like it needed to be in there. So super, super happy with it. Yeah. We did when we were putting these all together, like we had a, Jenny and I were both like, so not a lot of fertility goddesses and also a lot of death, a lot of martial women. <laughs> there were quite a few fertility goddesses though, Jen, like there were a lot of sex goddesses. There was, but like a lot of martial women. Sex and death, really. I mean, you could subtitle this book, Sex and Death. <laughs> kind of my favorite things to draw so it's <laughs> I love it <laughs> I wrote this poetry book long before long before I did the podcast and um like they're like write yourself a bio and I had no idea how to freaking write a bio for myself I had like no credits and I was like Jenny Williamson writes about sex and death in that order <laughs> I just couldn't think of anything else to say <laughs> 
I, I would actually love to have people illustrate poetry that I write. That's kind of one of my dream collabs. <laughs> oh my God, you get so many artists who would just be like, yes, please, whatever you need. <laughs> so, we should work on something. Maybe we should work on something. Let's, let's collaborate. Oh my God. Something that's like, too spicy for Adam's media and Simon and Schuster. <laughs> what other products do you have on right now? Yeah, so uh, my my book that I wrote and illustrated uh, is finally out. It got kind of stuck in shipping limbo for a little bit, but um, it's called The Dead Handbook. Um, it's kind of a book that I started at the, the beginning of the pandemic. It was my kind of therapy, I guess. Like I had always wanted to write a book. Um, I had all these little short stories in mind. Like I'm a huge fan of Edward Gorey and like scary stories to tell in the dark. So I kind of wanted, he's like goth granddaddy. Oh my gosh, he's, he's amazing. Um, his house is kind of near around in New England where I am. Uh, so I need to go see it at some point. I want to go see that too. Oh my gosh. I don't know exactly where it is, but like Vermont is not far. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's like in the little tale of Massachusetts somewhere. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I wrote all these stories. They're little little short vignettes about like spooky Victorian funerary stuff or like morals to stories where like don't mess up and you won't die kind of thing. And I had it all written sort of like it would be written on a tombstone. So I dated each of the stories with a date anywhere from like I think the 1500s to like the early 1900s. So kind of like optimal funerary spookiness years. But uh, I tried to write some of the earlier ones with like the S's that look like F's. So like if you go see an old gravestone, and I'd never seen a book do that outside of like a really old English book. And um, so I, it's kind of hard to read. <laughs> but like, that's kind of what I wanted, you know, like I wanted something where you, you have to take a little bit of extra time and teach yourself a different, not font, but like a, a glyph, I guess. But yeah, so that, that finally came out. <laughs> That's out through Simon & Schuster too. But uh, thanks. Yeah, I'm really excited for it. It's like my heart and soul are in that book as well. And so that just came out. Um, I worked on the main part of a collection of short stories that DC will be putting out with um, Dead Man. He's going to be having his own book soon that'll be out in September. So I did all the interstitials. So each of the introductions to each story in the book I, I drew. So lots of fun, like funerary stuff in there, too. I think um, I snuck in a door that I saw in Naples when I went before everything shut down. Um, there's catacombs there where they would put uh, the skulls in the walls and then paint around the skull and, and make like paint a body like these really cool skeleton portraits. Um, but then, you know, once uh, hands changed over, religions changed, history goes by, they carved out all the skulls. So there's all these really weird kind of holes in the wall with like half a skull in the back, but still painted kind of like skeletons wearing dresses and, and holding hands and stuff. And it's, it's really cool. It's such an interesting space. So I, I put some of that in the book too. Lots of uh, hourglasses with wings, uh, skulls with wings, you know, a lot of like New England kind of stuff that I see on gravestones all the time is, is in there as well. I remember seeing this line in your um, Amazon bio that's on our book page about how you clean gravestones. And this really touched a nerve with me because one of the things I love to do is go up to Vermont and visit my dad and ride motorcycles around and visit old historic and frequently forgotten graveyards out in the woods in Vermont and just explore those and, you know, read all the inscriptions. And I'm just really in love with that. And so I wanted you to tell us all about your work with gravestones in like historic graveyards in New Hampshire. Yeah. Uh, so I learned uh, how to clean a gravestone from my mom who learned from the New Hampshire Old Graveyard Association. So that's NOGA. 
I think they have associations like that all over the country. So if you're super into gravestone preservation and cleaning, look up your local chapter of that, you know, ask your historical society, they should be able to point you in the direction of gravestone cleaning classes. It's it's starting to become a big thing because TikTok is showing a lot of people cleaning stones and I've been forwarded many, many links as of late, more so than I ever thought, you know, I, I thought me and my mom and maybe it's just some old people in New Hampshire do this. <laughs> but because uh, I was definitely the youngest by like 30, 40 years, which was really fun. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's something that me and my mom do. It's, it's really fun kind of I hang out with my mom in a cemetery, like cemeteries are just full of beautiful art. A lot of the people, their stones, you know, they've died so long ago that their stones are in a little bit disrepair or they're, they're dirty. Um, they've got algae growing on them, especially if they're growing under a tree. And a lot of these people uh, don't have records outside of what's on their gravestone. So it's, it's kind of one of those things where I, we try to clean the stones that need the most help so that that inscription stays as clean as it can for as long as it can. So we use like natural cleaners and, and uh, wooden scrapers, no metal, no bleach, no sandblasting or anything. We just try to be as gentle as possible. And it's amazing. You can see like one of the marble stones, like the white marble stones may look gray as you're driving by from like all the acid rain or anything falling from the sky and just years of being covered in snow. Those will whiten up like beautifully, like almost like new. If you use, uh, you know, D2 or wet and forget and um, you give it a little bit of time, it, it'll whiten up after a while. And it's like you're seeing it for like how it was new. It was really, really cool. Oh, that's so incredible. Yeah, and it's bringing those people back in a way. It's letting them, them live again. Yeah, there's there's really cool um, inscriptions on a lot of the stones back home. There's one. So I'm from New Boston, New Hampshire, and our our cemetery has a stone where so some guy shot a girl that he was in love with, I think. And so her family had it. So on her gravestone, it told the whole story about how this guy killed their daughter and this guy is buried two rows up. It like calls him out and it's like this. This isn't going to be forgotten. Like it's so easy for these records to kind of be just put away. But they're like, nope. I mean, it's kind of sucks for the girl to have that written on her gravestone. I mean, she would probably be like, yeah, call this asshole out. <laughs> but, you know, do you want that on your memory? Yeah, finding like inscriptions like that, finding like really pretty carvings on stones that are just covered under lichen. And and then also we'll go in and look up whoever we cleaned. Uh, we'll put it on find a grave, like a nice new clean picture. And then we'll look on ancestry.com for any information we can find about that person. So it's really neat to see someone that you've spent like an hour cleaning their gravestone, seeing their names, seeing their 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 dates, uh, birth and death and who they're buried next to. And then going into Ancestry.com and being like, oh, wow, like there's a really young couple. It's my favorite gravestone in Francistown. Um, and they're the Eatons. It's like E-A-T-O-N-S. Very young couple. I think like early 30s died about a year apart. So I was like, what's you know the story here? It turns out they both died of tuberculosis. And one was like one year after the other almost to the day. You really like when you start looking into the history of, you know, these stones, it, it's it's so cool. Like it, you feel really good because you're helping preserve somebody's memory that maybe doesn't have family to help with that. But also it's like really cool stories that you're not going to read in a book like this really happened. These really pe- these people really existed, you know, and they're real. They're not fictional people. <laughs> I had that thought all the time, like everything about my life or my friends lives or you know so much so for so many of us we would die and then our names would go on a gravestone and there would be the birthday and the death day and that's it that's what people know about you and it's like there's so much in that little dash that doesn't come through when my dad and I check out all these gravestones near near where I grew up in Vermont one of the things we always notice is like you know whole families of like children that are very young dying all very similar dates of death and then 
then the father died, and then the mother lived until she was 80. You just don't know what the story was, but there's all this grief that you can see in, in just these dates. Yeah, and, and the thing is, too, is like why I really love a lot of the Victorian funerary stuff, like all the Memento Mori things, is just like the, the love that they put into a lot of this memorial art. Like there's a lot of love and a lot of thought that went into these gravestones and some of the death photography, like the postmortem photography. I also collect that, too. And um, Victorian funerary cards as well. I will see a card like on Etsy or eBay or something and be like, oh, my God, I need to give that a good home. And that's usually like how I, my whole collection is basically like, I want to take care of that thing. Oh, my gosh, I, I want to preserve it. And then I'll like look into their history if there is any on, on Ancestry. And it's really cool. I found a few really neat stories just by getting a random picture of a graveyard on Etsy and, and finding out who they are. It's like a family in Kansas there's a picture up by my computer I did a bunch of research figured out who they were based on the stone behind them and and it's it just makes everything so personal I find that so fascinating because like one of the things that we see a lot in some of the ancient world stuff we do is the the opposite of memento memoriae it's demnatia memoriae which is like essentially someone who is very naughty who the government state people want to erase their name and erase their memory and erase them from history and i just feel like the work you're doing and the stuff you're interesting in is about bringing people's stories back into the world that juxtaposition is just like incredible I love it too. And it's just like, I know it sounds really like morbid. I always get like, oh, it's so sad and everything. But like the whole point of Memento Mori too is like, remember, you'll die. So live, you know, like live your life the best you can. Be a good person. Leave good stories. It's actually a pretty, the Victorians knew what was up in that sense. Also, everybody was dying a lot <laughs> quicker than they were now. <laughs> There's a little, so much death. I was going to say, they all died real young, so. <laughs> There's a lot of women dying in childbirth in those graveyards. Well, and. A lot of people dying in work from very young ages and very long hours and absolutely no regulation of, like, the mills or take your pick. Uranium and, uh, was it the girls with the, the watches? Yeah. Yeah, what were they called? The radium girls? Radium girls, yeah. I also collect a lot of uranium glass, too, which I don't, like, sleep next to. <laughs> But I love oh, it. dear. I hope you've got a big place. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sarah! <laughs> but it's so pretty. Uh, apparently, it's like, you know, uh, cups of coffee have more radiation than some of the cups do. But I do have quite a lot of them all in one spot. So <laughs> I try not to hang around there too much. I mean, I don't think it's as bad as like Chernobyl. But, you know. <laughs> I, I like to think it adds spice to my art. Or a third eye will ev eventually appear, hopefully. <laughs> Or a third arm so I can just work faster, you know? <laughs> we all want that. Do we not? The third eye and faster. Just a clone would be good, too. Just meet some of these deadlines. <laughs> I do feel like the graveyards that I see, there's a lot of, like, formulaic but also very lovely kind of death poetry on some of these gravestones. And one of them that I see repeating is, like, it's like, soon you will be the one under the ground. Yeah. Yeah, as as I am, so you are be, will be prepared for death and follow me. Yeah, it's, it's one of those like, yeah, you're going to be dust too, buddy. So like, <laughs> live your life. Don't be disrespectful to the dead. You know, it's like, we're all going to go through the same thing. I have a modern lens on this where I'm like, yeah, I know. But do we have to talk about it now? I mean, it's not something you want to just like harp on all the time. It gets really depressing. But <laughs> exactly. Like, I know that. I'm just pretending not to think about it. For sure. <laughs> Absolutely. That's so tied into the religion of the time. Because, like, remember, 
Most Christian religions were prevalent in that particular area. And if you were Catholic and even if you're not, there's, I mean, there's Ash Wednesday, which is the start of Lent. And like, literally, I grew up Catholic. When they put the ashes on your forehead, they say ashes to ashes, dust to dust. It's just your reminder that one day this is going to be you. And, and like all the all the stuff I saw in like Rome and Naples, like all the all the Catholic churches, there's a lot of that, all of the churches I went to that were just for taking care of people who um, didn't have money to be buried. So there was one church in particular that was like the death church is what they kept saying, but they would just take in people and give them like an ossuary to lay their bones. And it's just really sweet things like that, that like you don't really think of very often, but it's like, well, that would be nice if you are Catholic and you don't have the money though to have your bones there. This church will help you out with that. And that morbid, sweet, balance is what I really, really like. It's like, aw, aw, ah. <laughs> all those kind of sounds come together. <laughs> There's a real tension, right? Between the more the horror and the sweetness. Absolutely. That's why it's like um like Guillermo del Toro, anything he does is like automatically my favorite. Like his ghosts are my favorite. They're all like sweet, sympathetic ghosts for the most part. But like that feeling of just like it's not their fault they look decayed they're dead. They <laughs> so, they're not scary all the time. That's just how they look, man. <laughs> what was the most deathly one in the book? I'm trying to think. And there were a lot of deathly ones. La Llorona. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. The, um, La Llorona was, it was so much fun to do. And that one was one that kind of came together really quickly as well. Um, uh, El Naraja. El Nadaha, yeah, the Siren of the Nile. She was one of my favorites, too. I'm so happy how the backlighting worked on her. Um, it's one of my favorite pieces that came out. And um, I was really happy how many, like, spooky dead chicks were in this. And it really <laughs> made me super happy. I got you on that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah for sure. You're like, I feel like you know us real well now. <laughs> when I gave her the list, I was like, mm-hmm, mm, this, will be, this will be just fine. <laughs> <laughs> Where can where can our listeners find you, Sarah? Uh, so I have a website. Uh, it's just my name dot com. So Sarah S A R A R I C H A R D dot com. There's links to my Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, I don't think I have Tumblr anymore. I have Patreon. I should be putting up a list of all the conventions that will hopefully be happening this year that I'll be going to. Yeah, it's really cool to see what everybody's been working on. Like, I always get super inspired after going to one of those just to also see <laughs> where the bar is set this year. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm either going to work my ass off or I can, like, take a breather. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so I'll be I'll be popping up there. I've got a lot of cool projects coming out this year, too. And um, and so hopefully trying to do more um, promotions with those. Um, just kind of seeing what this year brings, I guess. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been really incredible. <laughs> Uh, thanks, guys. It's so awesome to talk to you, like, outside of just text. <laughs> so, it's been great. <laughs> yeah, it, it's amazing to finally talk to you and get to know you, and hopefully we'll collaborate on so many more things. I hope so. That would be amazing. Thank you so much, Sarah. It has been an absolute dream talking to you. Um, it's been great to finally actually meet you. I just feel so lucky that you are an artist and that we got so much input into what went into the book. Yeah, thank you guys for being so open with the uh, interpretations I threw at you as well. It, it really felt like this all came together in the, the coolest, best feeling way. Like my soul is so happy. Like this book exists. Ours too. <laughs> so that's it for this week. Thank you guys for listening to our, our Women of Myth series. We will be back next week with someone else. We don't know who yet. So stay tuned. Mm-hmm.